We continue our sermon series on the Christ-centered church this week. We've talked about glorifying God by being on mission together. We talked about what the mission of God is and how to fulfill that mission. We've talked about fulfilling that mission through gospel proclamation, life-on-life discipleship, and being on mission We would say around here, reach, walk, sin, reaching people for Christ, walking them through to maturity and running it back again and sending them out to reach more people for Christ. Now we move into the DNA of the church. If we've been talking about the mission of God and how we accomplish that mission, we're moving now to what do we need to have in our DNA? What do you need as the people of God to accomplish gospel proclamation, life-on-life discipleship, and a culture of being on mission? Well, the first thing that you need in the church is worship. True and genuine worship. Worship of God as the preeminent, the perfect, the holy, the omniscient, the all-powerful, the righteous, the just, the gracious God that he is. Worshiping God for who he is. Let me read you a section of scripture to understand worship. Before we get started with our preaching text this morning, it's out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, He is the image, talking about Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in all him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I just had to read you that this morning for you to understand who it is that we worship Christ, the preeminent one. Before all things, the church is about worship. It's about Christ. A church focused on Christ's mission is a church with a heart of true worship. They recognize who Christ is and they respond to him. This is worship, the Christ-centered church. Let's open up our text this morning to Romans chapter 12. It is a well-known text this morning, Romans chapter 12. If you'll stand with me in reading of God's Word, page 947 in your Bible in front of you, in case you do not have a Bible, it is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, page 947 in the pew in front of you. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2 this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's be seated and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth in it. We thank you that you are worthy of worship, that you are a God worthy of our praise and our worship and our life. Father, we ask that this morning you would touch our hearts, that you would, you would give us ears to hear the truth of the message of your word that we may understand. Father, may we understand who we're dealing with. And Father, help us to turn from our wicked ways, to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Father, help us to be transformed people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I tell a lot of stories about our time in Thailand as missionaries, and it was an indelible time, but we learned so much in such a short period of time. We get off the plane in 2009 in Thailand. We've been looking forward to this step in our life for a long time, preparing for it, just as we, we heard one of our missionaries going to Portugal. We'd sold our house, we'd quit our jobs. We're getting ready to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ in Thailand. Some Thai friends are here today with us this morning. And they took us to our new home for the next two years. And we go to this new home, and it is a three-story in the middle of the city place. The first story is the community center, which is open to uh, college students to come hang out. The second story is a language class, so we've got language classes going on. And the third story is our one-bedroom apartment. Now, we're not, you know, well, we are. We're spoiled, okay? Just, just to be honest with you, we're spoiled. And um, I don't know what we were expecting but we stepped into this one-bedroom apartment on the third floor. Two single beds pushed together. Ladies, you'll sympathize with this. There was no kitchen. You had to walk down two floors into the community center to, to the kitchen. There was wires hanging out of the shower. The contraption hooked up to the shower that maybe you could get a hot water. We weren't sure at the time what was going on. And my wife just starts to bawl. And as a husband, you're standing there and you're going, well, it's not too bad, you know. <laughs> and thinking, this is not good. It doesn't even have a kitchen, she says to me. And we dropped our bags off there. And then we went to the village to stay for one month in a village. The conditions in the village were a lot worse. We had one room and really just fit 
the whole bed in the room, and it was on the concrete floor. We had a bathroom, but it was an outhouse. The whole, we felt like the whole neighborhood had our bathroom as well with us. It had a hole in the ground. You scooped water out of the barrel, and you poured it on you. You, you literally had to take a shower with, with scooping the water out of the barrel during the light, during the daytime, for two reasons. Number one, the water would be freezing at night, and number two, there was no light, so you couldn't really see if you were getting clean or not. The bedroom was open air, so you could hear everything going outside, and, and the family thought that it would be a good thing to buy a rooster. Well, they put the rooster right outside our door, and you, it was open air, and so at 4 or 4.30 in the morning, that rooster would begin its crow. I can remember when we came back to the community center, to our apartment in the city, there was no talk about the apartment anymore. I said nothing. She said nothing. We were so grateful for what God had given us. What was the difference? We did not understand the grace that God had bestowed upon us. We were blinded. We didn't see how bad it was. And guess what? That's what happens in our worship. There's no thanksgiving. There's no heart of gratitude because we don't understand the grace, the undeserved favor that God has given to us. It's only when someone understands the depth and the wickedness of their sin can they really be grateful for the grace that God has given to us and respond with a heart of worship? You see, this is what Paul is saying in this text this morning. The mercies of God drives worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, it is only through understanding God's grace and the mercies in which he has bestowed upon us can we truly worship this God for who he is. Can we truly be grateful and thankful for him? I want to ask you this question this morning. Where is your heart in worship? Do you have a heart of gratitude or an ungrateful heart. You see, the appeal is a gospel-centric worship that comes about through understanding the mercies of God and everything flows out of that. And our heart just overflows with the joy of the Lord no matter our circumstance. Look at verse 1 with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is it. This is point number one this morning. 
Worship begins with a heart of thanksgiving. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters in Romans, which we'll study at some point, but he explains the great salvation that God has given us through Christ. The great grace of God that he would be willing to humble himself, to come down, to live, to be born as a human, to live with us, among us, to suffer and die on a cross. It's a great mystery. He begins this statement by saying, Therefore, therefore, everything I've said in the first 11 chapters about this great salvation, I am appealing to you by the mercies of God now to live a life of worship. A life that gives God glory. This is how the gospel works. You are overwhelmed with the grace of God that he has given to you. Christ, the Son of God, dying in your place. That all you can do is now respond in worship. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see, we are to have a heart of thanksgiving in all circumstances, whether good or bad, because God is faithful in the midst of the hard circumstances. A heart of thanksgiving is a heart of worship. Guess what the opposite of thanksgiving is? Unthankful or an ungrateful heart. 2 Timothy 3.1 addresses this. He says, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. That's what the text says. I think it's funny that ungrateful is just one of those words in there. But ungratefulness is anti-gospel. Why? Because it causes apathetic worship. If you're you're apathetic in your worship and you say, I I really don't want to spend time with the Lord. I really don't want to obey his commands. I really don't want to gather together and people hold me accountable. I really don't want to share God's love with other people. Are you thankful? You see, the thanksgiving stirs the spirit of God in his church. It stirs the people to be able to glorify God with their life. It it may be difficult for some of us in this room right now to have a heart of thanksgiving. Not going to lie. 
We may look at our life and say, how can I have a spirit of gratitude in this mess? Yet our circumstances do not change the nature of God. They do not change his great salvation for us. Here's some questions to ask on a daily basis. Am I thankful for the salvation that God has given me? Am I thankful for the place in which God has put me now? Am I thankful for the people that God has put in my life to encourage and be encouraged by? Am I thankful for the spouse that God has given me? I remember in high school, I didn't like Chinese food, and my palate actually didn't expand until we went to Thailand. Um, <clears throat> but I came up home one day from school. It was, it was one of our first days that we could go out to eat lunch. And I came home one day real upset and upset and mad. And because all my friends went to eat at this Chinese food place, maybe you ate there, it's, it was in Edmond, it was called Marvo. It's closed down now, but it was a great buffet. And at the time, I didn't go to the Chinese food restaurant. All my friends went, but I went by myself to Taco Bell and ate by myself. And I was mad. And I started talking to my mom about this. Can you believe them? I don't even eat Chinese food. My mom said, well, son, maybe you should go next time and try it. So I went the next time, had a great time. Guess what? Loved the food. Love Chinese food to this day. And guess what? Without someone encouraging me to look past myself and to look at the world in a different light, I would be still stuck in my world looking at how my friends had abandoned me instead of seeing the world through a gospel lens. You see, look at life through the lens of the gospel, and pretty soon you won't see yourself, but you'll see the beauty of God all around you. It's not about you. Psalm 30, 11 and 12 says this, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Inward-focused Christians worship self. But when the gospel grabs a hold of your heart, it changes your filter to be able to see God for who he is. And it allows you to respond to this great God in worship with all of your life. Worship then becomes a part of you. Worship becomes your DNA. Look at what else this verse 1 says? Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is our second point this morning. Worship is all of our life. Worship is all 
of our life. Sometimes we get confused. We worship we view worship as our time slot between 10:45 and 11:10 on Sunday morning where we sing a few songs. But this text is telling us that God views our life as worship. That means what we say in the car to our kids. That means what we look at on our phone. What we do with our time. All of these things are presented unto the Lord as an offering to Him. The reference to our bodies here means all of our human faculties, all of our humanness, our hearts, our minds, our hands, our thoughts, our attitudes, all are presented unto the Lord as an act of worship. To present is in the Greek is, is peristemi, surrendering. Yielding up, it connotates a priest basically placing it on the altar, the offering on to the altar. My question is, what are you placing on the altar if your life is your spiritual act of worship? A while back, we had uh, Hans and Julie Dilbeck, he's the executive director of the BGCO, into our home. And he's kind of a big deal in Baptist circles. If you don't know who he is, it's fine. Just think of someone who's kind of a big deal. And he came over with his wife to eat a meal in our home. And what if, it would be funny to do, but what if we said, hey, executive director of the BGCO, you can come over to our house. I have some food to offer you. Here's my leftovers from my kid's Happy Meal last week. We have something to offer. But the real question is, what are you offering unto the Lord? Do you give him your garbage? Maybe even your leftovers? Or do you give him your best? This is every area of your life. This is your time, your money, your attitude, your words, your things. It's illustrated in the beginning, right, with Cain and Abel before the law even happened. In Genesis, two brothers, Cain and Abel, both brothers present an offering before the Lord. Both wanted to please God. They brought their sacrifice to God, yet only one was pleasing unto the Lord. Abel's sacrifice. It says that God did not receive Cain's sacrifice. Why? says Abel's heart was pure. He was right before God and he offered his best and his first. Cain's sacrifice was not from a pure heart. It was half-hearted. It's interesting that Paul would say, offer your bodies or present yourself as a living sacrifice. You see, in the Old Testament, people would offer animals on the altar as an offering unto the Lord, but sacrifices of dead animals are no longer acceptable to God. Why? Because the Lamb of God was sacrificed in our place. Jesus died on the cross as the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God. 
And therefore, the redeemed of the Lord are now to offer themselves as living sacrifices. You see, the only acceptable worship under the new covenant is one's life. Willing to surrender all of our hopes, our plans, everything that is precious to us, that which is humanly important to us, we give to the Lord all of our life. That's what God desires for his people. But guess what? You can't do that if you don't understand the mercies that God has bestowed upon you in your life. You don't understand the grace and the forgiveness and who you're dealing with as God. You're not going to present your body as a living sacrifice. You see, worship is all in. It's all of our life. Notice, I'm almost done with the sermon here, and we, we haven't talked about <laughs> traditional worship or contemporary worship or blended styles or music or songs or any of that. I made a pact some years ago with myself that I would never refer to worship as the style we prefer in meetings together. Worship is not a style of music we enjoy. It is the life that we live. If our worship is for us, then we have, we have missed the one we worship. In verse 2, God tells us how God gives us a heart of worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is point number three this morning. Worship comes about through a new mind and a new heart. And again, the word here, transformed, in the Greek is metamorpho. We get the word metamorphosis. It is transformation. The transformation occurs when God's Spirit dwells in a person. They're able to have a new heart, and God changes their desires through his resurrection power. He gives them a heart that seeks after the things of God to be able to live a life of worship unto the Lord. Complete surrender. Jesus tells us about worship when he's conversing with the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, but the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In the power of the Holy Spirit and in the word of truth, we throw off the world, its desires, and we put on the armor of God. We place our, our life into the hands of Christ. And guess what? He sows seeds. The word of God in our hearts and our minds, and they become new. 
This is how you renew your mind, the very word of God. We begin to think differently. That's what God does. He takes his selfish, lustful, prideful, arrogant human being, and he transforms him into someone who can discern the will of God. You may remember a man, his name is John Newton. This man wrote the song Amazing Grace. He was the captain of slave ships. He treated human beings if if they were animals. He was known as being a wicked and destitute man that lived for himself, even in those circles. One time John Newton flew over the boat and the crew didn't even throw him a life preserver. They threw him the harpoon because they disliked him so much. But when Christ came into John Newton's life, when he realized what a wretched sinner he was, and he realized the grace that God was giving him through the sacrifice of the cross, his life changed. He said four things. He said, I must realize that in my present condition, I am a sinner before God. Do you realize that? you realize that one day we will be accountable for what we have done? Number two, I cannot save myself from eternal punishment in hell. We cannot save ourselves. Number three, Christ has paid for my sins and my punishment with his death on the cross. Jesus in my place. Number four, I must accept his crucifixion crucifixion as payment for my sins personally. Receiving the mercies of God. I'm going to end with, with the song John Newton wrote. This is what he wrote. Running slave ships, to worshiping God. This is what he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been here, 
There, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. A man whose life was changed to a life of worship. The outpouring was song, but his life was worship. When a church is consumed with worship of the Lord, their eyes are focused on accomplishing the will of God. May we be a church that is focused upon the one who is worthy of our worship. Thank you.